Well, we're in our Finding Faith series, and uh, today we're actually uh, closing things down, and, and this is our, our last message in this series, and it's a, it's a very important one. So, so last week, um, I shared with you that I have this portrait in my office, and I told you I wish it was the original, but it's not. It's of Michelangelo's uh, painting of um, Adam and the creation of Adam. And I, remember I told you it was a really cool frame? You're going to see a picture of it here in a second. There it is. So, so this is, uh, isn't that a cool frame? Somebody say that's a cool frame. Okay. So, so uh, this is a, a great portrait, and, and it really helps tie in where I want to go today as we conclude this series on Finding Faith. If you take a look at that, you know, God is on, um, on the right over here. So God is stretching out. Adam is over on the left. And I explained a little bit last week about how Adam is just kind of like nonchalantly, hey, God, if I connect with you, so what? Well, today we're going to find out that, that, that Adam is just this close to connecting with God. All he has to do is reach out. And, and I was thinking about this uh, portrait as I was um, putting the message together, and, and I'm recalling in my own life um, how important it is for us to reach out and connect with God. Um, I'm sure that you could think of some times in your life, some situations, you could think about uh, some challenges, you could think about some good things, uh, about how it was to just reach out to God uh, in that instant in the way that that was. There are also times in my life where, where I can't just cerebrally think about God. I need a, an experience with God. And I love the story of the little boy who's in his bedroom. The bedroom's dark. There's a thunderstorm outside, lightning, and thunder's cracking everywhere. And the little boy is scared. And he cries out, Daddy, I need you. And his dad calls out from the other room, It's okay, son. Jesus is with you. And a little bit of time goes by, and there's more thunder, more, more lightning. Everything's getting really nasty outside. The wind is rallying. Daddy, I need you. And the boy's father cries out, you'll be okay, son. Jesus is with you. And then all of a sudden, this mighty wind came, and it actually like shook the house. And the little boy got really scared. He shouted out, Daddy, but I need Jesus with skin on. Okay, I'm glad you got it over here. So anyway, so sometimes we need to see God. We need to have an experience with God. We need to know, somebody just laughed. I like that. So we need to really have this experience of God in a, in a powerful way. And I was thinking about, you know, how, how, you know, my life, I grew up in the church, and I grew up understanding the importance and the presence of God, what it means to touch God, what it means to be touched by God. But I also know that there were times in my life where I really struggled with that. There are times that I felt like I'm really in the game and God is there, and there are other times that I thought, man, God, where is God in all of this? Where is God? And, and so it's like one of those moments where, where if you've ever walked outside on a bad day and you just kind of looked up to the heavens and say, God, just give me a sign. Anybody ever done that? Just give me a sign. And so, you know, there have been days that, that I've wanted to just go down to Tampa Bay and say, God, just park Tampa Bay. Just park it. Let me see your presence. And there's been other times when I've said, you know, sitting on my back patio, you know, Patty and I, we really love redbirds, and we believe there's a spiritual thing in our family with redbirds. And, and, and I'll be having a, a tough day, and I'll say, God, I just need to see a redbird. And one appears. And so, so we, we see these things. But, but what do you do? What do you do when, when you want to believe in God, but you can't see God? You know, um, you know God is not a where's Waldo person. He's not kind of just out there and, and not worrying about there, if there's anything. But it, it really begs this question that's of great importance for us today. How do I believe in a God that I can't see? So I asked a couple questions one time. Um, I've, uh, through the years, I, I've talked to people, and as they've come to me, 
um, and we've had some like spiritual soul searching conversations. And, and it's always boiled down to, in my opinion, three questions when it comes about faith and seeing God. So these are the questions that through the years, through 26 years of ministry, <clears throat> I've come to understand and I've recorded these as questions that are out there. So why do I sometimes feel God's presence stronger some days more than others? How about you? I mean, are there days that you're like, man, I really feel like God's like right here. And there's other days you're like, eh, I'm not real sure. A second question that's come through the years is, when is it easy to see God all around me, like in the birds and pets and nature? And why is it so hard to feel his presence, especially when I need him the most? If you've ever been in a crisis, if you've ever been in a situation in your own life where you feel like the wheels have come off the bus, where you don't know where to turn, you don't know what to do, what to say, and you call out to God, and in those moments, it's just kind of like a void. I need God the most. Hello? And you don't hear anything. That's the question. A third question that through the years has come up is, why is it that at times when I seek God, I feel no response? You ever struggle with unanswered prayer? You know, it's really interesting. Um, uh, what I've discovered through the years is we really want to focus on unanswered prayer, and that really derails us. And some of us are willing to, you know, just pitch our faith out the back door because we don't have an answer to our prayer. Or the prayer doesn't get answered the way that we want. And what I've discovered is that 95%, at least I know for me and my guess is for you, 95% of what we pray for happens exactly as we ask. But it's the 5%. It's that 5% that just kind of gnaws at us. So how do I believe in a God that I can't see? And how do I have uh, faith in that? Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy that's, I'm a visual learner, so it drives the staff batty sometimes. I'm like, you know, just visually, I need to see it, you know, teach me, you know, show me how to do this, let me see it, and I'll, and I'll catch on. And that's just the way that I, that's the way I've always learned, and that's the way I probably will be, you know, for the rest of my life. And so I grew up with um, magic eyes. Anybody know what a magic eye is? Not kind of like a, oh, my eye is magic. No, but a magic eye. So these were things that I grew up with um, probably back in the 80s, 90s. And a magic eye is, is like this image that's filled with all these colorful dots. And there's really no pattern to it. It just looks like a, 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 a nasty, there it is. There's a great picture of one right there. You, you look at that and you go like, okay, wow, it's kind of like, you know, I'm surviving Woodstock again. You know, you look at that and you think, oh, what is that? Well, a magic eye is there's an image that's hidden inside of that image. And that image is there. But you can't see it unless you're looking for it. Now, I've always been magic eye challenged. You know, Patty's real good. She, she can see this stuff in a dime in a heartbeat. You know, I was kind of the guy that I, I kind of had to go to the remedial class, you know, to, to have the magic eye and to see things. And I remember one time, you know, I had all these people telling me, yeah, they're real, these magic eyes. You got to get one. You got to get one. And I would just like, look, we'd go into stores and she'd be like, look, can you see that? Isn't that cool? You see those dolphins coming out? And I'd look at it and I'd go like, huh? What is that? She goes, no, no, there's dolphins in that one. Look over here, there's a big cruise liner and stuff. And oh gosh, look over here at this one. You know, it says, it has this message that just pops right out. I'm going like, really? And so I, I was a magic eye challenge. And when I was about ready to give up, um, I listened to what she said. And she said, you can't just look at it. You've got to look for it. And once I did that, I saw it. I was like, Patty, I just saw it. Come back and look. And I went, oh, I lost it now. And then so she gave me one for my birthday years ago. It was about a five by seven. 
and um, it was blue and all, and, and the, the cool thing was she didn't tell me what was inside. And I think that was a test to find out if I really could see it or not. So she knew what it was. And inside of that picture, everything came out. It was like rolling hills. It was a tomb with a stone rolled away. There was a cross in the middle of the hill, and it had the words, he is risen. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. And I've come to realize that sometimes you've got to look for things. You've got to look for things that are there. And it's no different with God and in our relationship with that because that's exactly what God calls us to do. You see, um, here, here's where I'm going with this because we, we've got to develop magic eyes. We have to develop eyes that can see things that we think we cannot see. We have to be able to look into what's going on in the world around us to see God at work, especially in those moments when we're not really sure that's happening. I love this quote by uh, Armin Nikolai. He says, we may ignore, but we cannot evade the presence of God. So we can ignore God is out there, but he's saying you can't stop the fact that God is there. You can ignore that he's there, but you can't stop the fact that he's there. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. And the incognito is not always easy to penetrate. The real labor is to remember to attend. So, so um, Armand Nicolai, he's, he's talking about how, how we need to be on target. We need to be aware. We need to be willing to understand that God is not in all the places we can visually see, but if we look for God, God is there. So now, my friends, here on stage. So who, who are these wonderful, wonderful people? This is uh, Lois and Alan Finney. Uh, they're a part of our church. They attend mostly the 9 o'clock uh, worship time. Um, Alan is going to be one of our trustees coming the first year. Lois um, helps out in our office. She's going to become our uh, church conference secretary. See what happens when you become part of the church? You get sucked in. Okay. No, seriously, uh, great people. And why are they here? Um, they're going to share with you their story. And I'm, all I'm going to tell you is it happened in 1990 or started in 1990. So it's a lot of years ago. Um, and I'm asking you today to, to really listen to their story about this whole topic of how can I believe in a God that I cannot see? Now, granted, uh, let me just say this, that, that this is a story that is a very emotional story. So, um, you know, I, we just want to give the Finneys grace that as they're talking with us, that if they need to pause for a minute, it's okay. Because what's important is that we that we hear their story. So, so Alan and Lois, why don't you tell me, so this started in 1990 in Kuwait, right? So why don't you tell us what was going on at that time for you all in Kuwait? Okay, Alan and I were teachers at the Universal American School in Kuwait. And during the summer, almost all the expats and even Kuwaitis leave the country because of the extreme heat. But we chose to stay because we were having a baby. And so uh, our son, Matthew, was born. We left the hospital on July 31st. Two days later, August 2nd, Saddam Hussein and 250,000 Iraqi troops invaded the country. Now, it just so happened that my father was uh, in town doing some work, so he came directly to our apartment. And after that, we were uh, hostages and we were taking hiding in our apartment for the next four and a half months. We never left the apartment for fear of either being captured and made um, 
yeah, <laughs> sorry, and um, or or for fear of our our lives. So so think about this for a second. So you know, a lot of us we we don't know what that means to have another nation. In fact, if you're an American, you don't know what it is to have another nation come in and take you over, especially under that kind of threat. So a lot of duress, a lot of chaos, a lot of problems. So, so the question is, you know, how, how did you experience God in the midst of that? I mean, so, so some of us might be so focused on survival or just, you know, getting by that God might be the last thing we think of or maybe God's the first thing. But how did you survive all of that chaos and all and, and how did you experience God in the midst of it? Well, first of all, there were bombings and burnings and tanks going off and uh, all the time. Um, my father-in-law and I and Lois prepared the best we could. We didn't really begin to know that it was going to last forever for a couple days. Friends of ours, other teachers that we worked with, had apartments in the same building. They left me the key uh, to their apartment so I could water the plants and kind of look after things. My father-in-law and I and Lois went down to their homes or apartments and took all of the food, the canned goods and, and food supplies that we could take, some magazines, I think we got a couple games and, and things like that to help pass the time. We were able to listen to Voice of America on our, on our radio and we got the news of what was going on in the outside world, which was the only news we were getting. We were... One of our big concerns was the water in Kuwait is provided by desalinization. And if the desalinization plants broke down or were destroyed, we would not have water supply. We also thought that maybe they might turn off all the electricity because uh, it's 120 degrees, we were all closed up and you need the air conditioning. Uh, but that didn't happen. Um, spent our time, we were reading the scriptures, we were praying, we were sharing. Um, looking back, we realized that it was God who was taking care of us, who knew ahead of time what was going to happen. We didn't know, but that's why we had the keys. That's why we were able to get the food that we needed. Um, for the part of the time and some other things that he protected us with. So we begin to realize that God was present with us. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a newborn baby, but we were blessed with a really good baby. He didn't cry much, which was really important. Um, the apartments in Kuwait are built on stilts. So during the hottest part of the day, the soldiers would come and sit under that to keep in the shade. And so, you know, it was really important to keep quiet because we didn't want anyone to know that we were there. Um, we had our strength and our love for each other, which carried us through a lot. Um, one thing is that we had all the windows covered, again, to keep it dark and so no one knew that we were up there in the apartment. But we had a little tiny window in the kitchen that we didn't cover. And one day, my father was standing in the kitchen looking out the window, praying. And all of a sudden, a white dove came and sat on the windowsill. And there just aren't white doves in Kuwait. But that was 
something, a real turning point for us because we knew we would be okay. We knew that God was watching us and would get us home safely. And the other thing that was so important is we had so many people taking care of us. We couldn't call anybody, but all kinds of people came to our door to help us. A lot of strangers just came out of nowhere. We were living in a real Egyptian Palestinian neighborhood and there was a reward out for anybody who turned in Americans. And so, you know, but no one in our neighborhood turned us in. They all knew we were there, and a lot of them helped us, but nobody turned us in. You know, that, that's, that right there is, is a huge miracle about how you experience God, a God that you can't see. Two things. So uh, if you go back and you think about the, the dove. So let's go back into our scriptures in the story of Genesis and the, the story of Noah. And Noah goes out into the water. He's got all of those animals, and he's got what left of creation with him. And he's just kind of being tossed around in the middle of the ocean or the, the abyss, I guess, at that particular time. And what happens at the end after that, those many, many days, a dove appears. And a dove brings an olive branch, and it's a reminder to Noah of hope, but more importantly of God's uh, presence and God's restorativeness, uh, restoration for them. And, and it, also when we look in the scriptures, we see that a white dove is instrumental in revealing for us the presence of the Holy Spirit. So I just, I just love the fact that you all um, saw that, especially understanding that um, that, that wasn't common uh, for you from there. So, so all this is going on. There's a bounty on your head. Um, things are going on. So, so tell, us, um, tell us about the others who were around you. Lois alluded to that. The others that were around you that were non-Christians so you probably had Muslims, you had Hindus, you had all sorts. So the non-Christians, and what role did they play in you helping to see God at work in what you're doing? They provided many of our needs after the first few weeks. Uh, Babu, who was an Indian national, he was a, a driver for the school, had an apartment and was there during the summer. He was able to provide us food. Uh, he brought us rice. And uh, we had a secret code, a whistle, or a knock uh, when someone came, so we would know that it was them and not soldiers at the door. He had some friends that came, uh, and they were able to, our air conditioner did break down, they were able to fix the air conditioner, but then they also broke the elevator intentionally because we were on the fourth floor. As a result of that, Iraqi soldiers brought at gunpoint the owner of our apartment building. And they knew that because the American school had four apartments there, so that they knew there might be Americans there that they were looking for. Babu was one of the people in the apartment. There was another apartment that had a Kuwaiti man married to an Iraqi woman. They went down and started telling the soldiers, no, no, no one's here, no one's here, no one else is here. The soldiers didn't necessarily believe them and started searching the building and searched the first floor thoroughly, the second floor, and then it was too hot and they didn't want to climb the stairs to the fourth floor where we were hiding. Um, When we were ready to leave, a Palestinian man uh, 
was the one that drove us to the airport. That was arranged through the uh, Canadian embassy because our embassy was out of order, surrounded by tanks. Again, like Lois said, our, we had a lot of very, very poor people living in our area. Most of them were laborers, Egyptian, Palestinian, Jordanian. Um, we had about a five to $10,000 reward offered for finding Americans and bringing them in. They knew that we were there. That some of their children were playing on the building behind us that was only three stories on the rooftop and could see us through the kitchen. But not one person bothered to turn us in. Mm. And they could have used the money, seriously. Yeah. Very poor people, right? Very poor people. Yeah. <clears throat> we had hired a Filipino nanny to come work for us once we went back to school in the fall. And, um, but she had never really worked for us. We had just hired her. And one day she just showed up at our door with several cans of baby formula and uh, some extra large girls' pampers. But we were able to figure it out, cut them down, and make them work. <laughs> um, my father was under medication and so a French nurse, she was actually the nurse at our school, uh, was able to, through the Kuwaiti underground, to get medicine to my father and have it delivered. We had a good friend that we'd known for a long time, Mr. Khalif, and he was a Muslim Palestinian who owned a grocery store. And one day he showed up, and like I said, we didn't call these people. People just showed up on their own, taking care of us. And they showed up at our door with frozen meat and a case of Carlsberg beer, which was amazing because alcohol is forbidden in Kuwait. It is. And every day, Al and my dad would split one can to celebrate that they'd made it through the day. And it lasted all the way till they left in December. And um, the last thing, our photo albums we had left, you know, because when you leave, when you're evacuated, you can only take what you can carry. So when I left, I had the baby and the baby's things, and that's all, and we left everything behind. And we were working in Malaysia the next year, and all of a sudden a package came from some complete strangers, and it had all of our photo albums in it. So it was just amazing. So, so that's, um, that, that is what is amazing. So again, so there's a bounty. It's a poor country, poor people. Um, you would think that they would just jump at that chance to do that. But then we start seeing how, how God is revealing God's self in other people. Even people that, that at that time of timeline that many people thought were enemy. You know, they're, they're loving you. They're showing hospitality. They're reaching out um, in the ways of faith. So, so it wasn't like this burning bush and it wasn't like this bright star, but it was in the faces of people and their deeds, sure. So, so here's the question here now. Is so so the, person, the person that says, yeah, but I just don't know that I can believe in a God I can't see. What would you say to that? We saw him in the faces of people. We saw him in the deeds that were done. We saw him in the things that he provided for us. Um, we felt, we generally felt his presence. He was with us. We could feel it. 
He fulfilled all of his promises to protect. He, I always go to the two verses, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is a confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Mm-hmm. And the other one is Corinthians 5.7, 2 Corinthians 5.7, for we live by faith. Not sight. Hmm. Two good ones, yeah. The, I think the one thing that I will never forget is when Matthew and Lois were able to leave, Babu had to take them to the meeting point. I couldn't go because they were still collecting men. Women and children were allowed to go. When they left, it really made me think about how much God loves me. To send his only son to earth knowing that he would be crucified. I realized at that point how much God loves me and how much God is with me and us. Amen. Even though we were really afraid, we never gave up hope because we knew that we kept seeing his care and every time a new challenge came up, he was there to help us face it. If you ask me how I know that God is there, even though I can't see him, I'd say you need to just stop and look back at the blessings that he's already given you. Because sometimes when you're in the middle of a crisis or you're really, really afraid, it's hard to see that and it's hard to remember. But if you really stop and reflect back of all the blessings and you can see how many we had during this time, And so if you look back, then it gives you that feeling and the trust that you know he's going to provide and protect for you again. Amen. So here's the the picture. So, Alan, you were there. uh, When did Lois leave and when did you get to go home? Uh, Lois Lois left on September 9th. Okay. And men were finally released on December 9th. Wow. So three months. Four and a half months. Four and a half months. (laughs) 140, 141 days. <laughs> 141 days. Wow. So, so in that 141 days, I mean, thank you for, for sharing. I mean, we can just really understand uh, all the ways that you saw God and, and, and how I'm sure there were days that, that you woke up and you're like, I don't know if I can do this. There were days that, that you and Ralph probably got on each other's nerves because you were you know, with each other 24-7. Um, husbands say that's good to be with your wives 24-7, please. Yeah, husbands say yes. Yes, it's good to be with my wife 24-7. But, but there's also challenges when, we're, when that's it and the stress that um, came upon you all during that. And I love the fact that um, you named your son Matthew. You want to remind us what Matthew means? Gift of the Lord. Gift of the Lord. Amen to that. Another way that you saw um, God in the midst of that. So, so hey, would you share your appreciation and love for the Finneys? I would like to say one more thing that I didn't mention this morning. Even after we got home, 
people were so good. We lost all of our money, basically. Um, churches invited us to speak and did a free will offering for us, which was greatly appreciated. We spoke to schools, high schools especially, because a lot of people from the area were going to, to uh, Desert Storm. Mm-hmm. Um, when we went back up north near my family, we rented an apartment, and we went to pay the rent, and uh, the owner lived in Chicago and had told the people that, no, we didn't need to pay any rent. We could stay there as long as we needed to. Wow. So God... More ways of seeing God. God. <laughs> was still working. <laughs> Amen. He doesn't sleep. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He doesn't sleep. Amen. So, so what I gleaned from the Finney story is, is really a couple of things. And, and it's just this, um, this sense of uh, faith isn't faith unless it's the last thing you're holding on to or the only thing you're holding on to. And that's what's so credible about, about their story. And I'm sure that if I pulled all of you and those that are uh, joining us uh, virtually as well, I'm sure we would hear even more faith stories. So it's not that God just revealed himself to the Finneys. God has revealed himself to you. And I love what Lois said. Lois said something that's very important, and that is that we have to stop long enough sometimes to just recognize that God is there. You see, we can't control everything that happens to us in our life. There's no way we can do that. There are things that happen in my day. There are things that happen in your day that you would never ask for, you would never uh, intentionally want to do. It happens. But what we can do is we can reframe how we deal with it and how we see it. And, And when we're having a really difficult day, whether it's a spiritual difficult day or whether it's one of provision or whatever it may be, we can reframe that and say, in spite of what's happening, I know God is good, I know God's word is true, and his hope and promises will last forever. And I think that's the the real big piece that we want to hold on to today, that even when we can't see God, God is there, and God is well aware. Let me just kind of wrap up with with a little illustration that I uh, found not long ago. Uh, Back in World War II, the Allied soldiers were in a couple of the towns of Germany, and they were actually looking to... um, find where the snipers might be as more Allied troops came into that very, dis, um, uh, that very difficult region. And as they were searching buildings and all, they would go through looking for those snipers. In one particular building, which was all rubble, they found a way down into the basement. They went down to the basement, and on the wall of, of that basement was the Star of David, the sign of, of Judaism. And what they saw scribbled under that were these words. And the words basically are something that I really think that we need to understand today. And what they later discovered was that this was a a person who uh, was caught up in the Holocaust. And he scratched these words up. It said, I believe in the sun even when it does not shine. I believe in love even when it's not shown. And I believe in God even when I can't see him. So here's the point. You will always find what you seek. Think about that. You will always find what you seek. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew would tell us in chapter 6. And all things will be made known and unto you. For the glory of God. Amen.